Oscar, where's 1049 Park Avenue? This is 1049 Park Avenue! Can two divorced men share an apartment without driving each other crazy? Hello, and welcome to 1049 Park Avenue, an odd couple podcast. Ted Linhart, Garrett Eisler here today to talk about season five, episode seven, The Odd Candidate, which aired on October 24th, 1974, and is available to view on Paramount+. Plus. You ever notice how easy it is for them just to slap on the word odd for, I wonder, we have to count, I wonder how many uh, titles, how many episodes are just titled The Odd Blank? Yes. It's kind of easy for them, I guess. Uh, so we have a few follow-ups from last week's based on listener feedback. Do you want to do that first or do you want to talk sure. about the yeah. Okay. Let's so the, um, in a, uh, a good segue into our eventual All in the Family podcast, I was actually, yes, our next podcast, of course, as we've discussed, and you've agreed to 100% with no doubts, uh, is the All in the Family podcast. And two, I think two listeners pointed out that something from last week was discussed on all in the family and so we're going to play that clip now i don't think you know what it is garrett so listen and it it, it'll take a little while this is from the episode that introduced maude as you know i think garrett maude was a spinoff of all in the family are you aware of that Mm, i knew it was a spinoff but i didn't know it was spinoff from all the family yeah so uh shows you how little I know about all in the family. Which is a perfect way for to have an expert <laughs> like me and a novice right. like okay. you do ah. the podcast. Okay. Okay. Um, so B. Arthur was hired to play Maude. I think Norman Lear saw her in something and said, I have to use her in the show. Uh, and so she was hired as, she, she's technically Eve's cousin, although I think in the Maude series, I don't know that that's ever mentioned, but in All in the Family, she's on the show uh twice this is her first episode she comes because the bunkers are all have the flu and she comes to take care of them and that's the setup for this clip where she is serving all of them breakfast in the morning and pay attention garrett because you'll know when you hear it why we're playing this wait a minute wait a minute question for them what the hell do you call this (laughs) it's my own invention Cream of wheat with cheese. Cream of wheat with cheese? It's light, but it binds. It looks like something I yet and lost. It was always crude. I remember when he and Edith were courting, they used to love to go to the movies. With a screen full of Leslie Howard, Spencer Tracy's, and Clark Gables, he took her to see Buster Crabb. Damn right, a hell of an actor. You never knew what was any good, Maud. He was always wrong about everything. The luckiest day in Edith's life was the day I took her away from you and your whole family of dreamy-eyed screwballs. Oh, you're not stopping at me. Now you're attacking the whole family. And after that wedding, those presents we gave you. Presents? What presents? 
All I remember, read it, bringing with it was a waffle iron, a raincoat that leaked, four cavities, and a compacted wisdom toothbrush. <laughs> Cheese, huh? Wrong again, Maud. Don't mind him, Maud. He ain't himself today. Yeah, he wasn't so great yesterday, either. <laughs> well, what can you expect from a man who used to laugh out loud at Ishkabibble? What's Ishkabibble? He was a person. He played in K. Kaiser's band, the College of Musical Knowledge. Was he funny? Like a migraine. <laughs> but every time K. Kaiser said, and here's Ishka Bibble, your father laughed. <laughs> Come on, everybody. Let's all go into the living room, leave the dishes. I'll clean them up later. So I had several people tell us on Facebook or other voyeurs about Ishka Bibble was discussed on All the Family. The uh, first part of that, I don't know that you got, the first part of the segment is they all have diarrhea. So Maud created this concoction to bind them. And then in the middle, Archie runs upstairs and says, you're wrong. This does not do that. Um, but anyway, the Ishka Bibble reference. There's a Buster Crab reference in there. I was about too. to say, I was waiting for a cubby crab. Yes, I didn't even think about that, actually, until I was <laughs> listening here again and yeah, realized there's yeah. actually kind of a two reference. But anyway, there's a... Uh, you know, a big, you know, at that point, this was season two, there's uh, tens of millions of people just hearing about Ishka Bibble. I thought maybe she was going to serve them goop melange. No, it's not that director reference. But I guess that wasn't uh, uh, even in last yeah, that was episode. Well, that's also created for <laughs> created for Odd yes, Couple. Yes. Uh, the other thing from last week is we didn't understand why Felix laughed in his sleeve when Oscar took over conducting the Sophisticados. Right. Remember that? Yep. So we Weird. were po- it was pointed out to us that laughing in one's sleeve is a thing, and it means, quote, to be secretly happy about or amused by something such as someone else's trouble. The term alludes to concealing mirth by hiding one's face in the big loose sleeves of old-time fashions, and it dates oh. from the early 16th century oh, and was included in John Haywood's 1546 proverb collection. Oh. So I guess the idea was you were laughing behind someone's back. Uh, well, what well, makes it even weirder in the episode is that Felix is doing it sarcastically. <laughs> I think he's like he's not really genuinely laughing. No, I think he's saying they're to mock the idea. I of think Oscar he's after leaving the band. I think he's saying they're laughing at him. Oh. Well, I guess. Well, you we'll have to go it? back to the videotape. I did go but back to the videotape, there was actually. something with like uh, a layering on the complexity yeah. of that is that it's also sarcastic. Yeah, he is but, saying Oscars. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't probably work as well as this but, as what it but means. But I, I, that must be the reference. Yeah, and, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here I was. I, I, I fancy myself a collector of these old antiquated sayings and I learn a new one every day or every every day. Really? Every uh, <laughs> every odd couple episode. Uh <laughs> All right, so those are our two follow-ups from last week, uh, and we'll re- interesting. We'll, we'll have to remember when we get to the cousin Maude episode for all in the family oh, yeah. podcast not to use that clip again, or maybe we should. Or maybe yeah. go back to the have an odd couple clip. Yeah, that's right. We can go backwards, or or go and say there's an odd couple reference. Okay, you want to talk about this episode? Yeah, what's this episode again? Oh, the odd, odd candidate. candidate yes. Right. Um, this is written by. Uh, um, uh, Lowell Gantz and Mark Rothman, who by this point were the two main writers on staff. Uh, 
And even more significant, it was directed by Gary Marshall himself. And as I'm noticing with a lot of the Gary Marshall directed episodes, they are more, they are very uh, uh, ambitiously cinematic. Uh, it's almost like Gary Marshall, when he did direct, which was not often, he wanted to use it as an opportunity to kind of like stretch his muscles as a, as a director, as a film director, which he eventually, of course, went on to do with great success. So uh, that is what's interesting when I see him doing an episode like this. Well, this is very heavily street, New York City yeah. street scene. Do, do you know, we don't know when this was filmed or what? Oh, well, we can take a good guess that it aired. October uh, 24th. Right. And it was, um, but I assume they did a lot of their location shooting in summer in between uh, studios in between right. the actual filming yeah. right because to make the big trip and uh so the, but as long as they had they had the script they because this these locations are really geared to the script this is clearly the most elaborate new york city right. of the entire and the most serious most integral or integrated yes. to the actual script yeah although i could see how um the all they had needed was the concept really the premise they didn't that's not there's not a lot of uh location shots they needed the posters though. but they no, did but need the posters, posters. Right. i'd say good. this is number one and the car episode is number two yeah, in terms right, of right. elaborate which was i believe at the beginning of season four so uh this is so i assume it was filmed somewhere in august september 1974 okay uh i mean the location shots and by the way uh speaking of mark rothman one of the writers i just mentioned uh i always check my 25th anniversary odd couple companion to see if uh, Mr. Uh, Edward Gross uh, got any uh, interesting quotes from the uh, creators. And Rothman says about this episode, every year they seem to have wanted an excuse to go to New York to do some location shooting. And those were shows done with a lot of exteriors where we ended up, in this case, we ended up writing half an episode and half of it was whatever they shot in New York. That's how much, referring right. to how much pre-recorded footage is there is show. there's a there's a lot of it in it uh so we open up with a cab pulling up in front of fake 1049 park avenue we see a shot that we don't often see i don't know if you noticed mm. the angle yes i did notice yeah. it's the rear of the kitchen with felix in the foreground he's standing in his orange robe and he's standing in front of a blender uh, and the front door is in the background but what we can see which i've never noticed before is a in the in the and the top of the ceiling is a shelf with like well, uh, railings yeah. on it that looks like it's supposed to be a shelf to store stuff, but it's clearly has to be just decorative because it's way too high to use unless you well, put stuff you never get. Here is that the camera is sort of like in the back of the kitchen. Yes. We're, like, yeah. we're looking into the living room from the back of the kitchen. And all of a sudden we see the in, for the first time we see the kitchen side of that divider between yeah. the living room and the kitchen and you right as you say like there seems to be above the counter and above the door to the kitchen is this are some shelves or something which i guess they put in to make it look realistic uh, since they were deciding to show this for the first time but you know what i found weird about that shot is that to the right of it to the you could see that it did not take up the whole living room there was like the wall ended the wall ends uh, just at do, the right edge of the screen. Wait, when you say it doesn't take, what? what is it? Um, it doesn't take up the whole living room. What it are you talking about? The kitchen. Well, but that, we know that doesn't. Well, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me, I don't mean, no, I don't mean the whole living room. I'm just saying 
that the you would think I always assume because we would watch the kitchen through a fourth wall basically, uh, and that right that the you yeah. would think that there was a fourth wall in the front of the kitchen. Uh, it turns out there isn't. Like they don't even pretend to have one. It just cuts off in the middle of the living room. I think this is a mistake. Oh wait a second! I think they're revealing the set. Oh. They're showing some part of the set you're not supposed. I to didn't. See. So I didn't. You're saying that if you're facing, let's pretend we're facing out into the living room you're saying to the right where there should be a wall for the kitchen you're right. saying it's obviously no wall. oh i didn't notice that and you're right that has like, to be a mistake you can see the living room to the on the right edge of the screen you see the rest of the living room. Oh, okay yeah that's an error i'm gonna have to go back and look i did not notice that but clearly we can't we're not so, supposed to believe there's no wall separating. i blame only mr gary marshall who is directing this episode and using a shot that we haven't an angle we haven't seen before but using an angle that exposes the limits of the set well that's where the that's where the oven is so there has to be a wall there right. yeah now the wall is now the wall is the oven is behind i believe usually i mean the stove yeah, right. The stove. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. It would have to be plugged in. Somewhere. Yeah, so clearly there's there's supposed to be a wall there. That's <laughs> why the there's stove all... is just not has no pipes. That's know? why there's a partition too. Yeah, I didn't notice that he that they exposed it that way. So yeah, that's definitely an error. Um, but that shelf uh is weird. So what yeah. you're saying is just a mistake. The shelf isn't a mistake. Someone designed right. that set to have that little. It looks like a like a balcony. It looks like if you had a. It looks like a little miniature balcony, like a Mr. Rogers neighborhood balcony. <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't make it. And there's nothing up there. It's not like no. Felix put some flowers or something. Well, that I, I think that's because it's probably not. It's the kind of thing a set designer would put in, like just in case a bit of it gets seen on camera. But it's obviously not supposed to be seen. But why not put stuff on it? But if he if it was just the wall there, I don't think that would look odd to use the word odd. It would <laughs> just be a wall. I think it's odder this way. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so Felix is operating the blender. He's staring at it, and he looks exhausted. Uh, and now, in the background, we see Oscar come into the apartment. He's wearing a trench coat. He's holding a suitcase and a garment bag. He puts the suitcase down on the floor of the elevated landing area. He throws the garment bag over the railing of the elevated landing area onto the floor. He takes off his trench coat, which he throws on the floor. Underneath the trench coat... We see his suit jacket, which looks very disheveled. What we think at first is a shirt that's uh, disheveled. And then his pants are unbuttoned. He takes off his pants. And now we see that the shirt is actually a pajama top because he's also wearing matching pajama bottoms under his pants. He also has a look of exhaustion on his face. He takes off his suit jacket. He makes very wide eyes because he's also tired and he walks into the kitchen and the studio audience applauds this. They enjoy the visual of it. And it is a good visual. Again. It is. Yeah. It's a, it's a great physical comedy bit that he, he sheds his clo outer clothing and shows his pajamas underneath. Now here's something really weird happened that I've never noticed. And I spent like five minutes trying to figure this out. I hope you noticed. I have a feeling you didn't right before he walks into the kitchen. He slams something down onto the counter. Did you notice that? In his no, hands? I did not. I did not. I think it's keys. But as I could not figure out as he's taking off all his clothing where he is holding something <laughs> in his hands. Oh. And I never see him go into a pocket or anything. He is unbuttoning and taking off his clothing with his hands. It does look like his hands 
are holding something somewhere. Like he's got his hands well, look like he's holding something, but yet yeah. he's taking off his clothing in a way that he can't also be holding well, onto something. Oh, I see. Well, I mean, it kind of would make sense if he opened the door with his keys and never let go of the keys. Yes. So that's while he's right. That's right. what you're saying. That's, that's what, what I. Mean. That's what I think is happening. What I cannot figure out is how is he holding onto his keys while taking off his pants. But are you, you're saying you're. I guess it seems like what you're saying is you watched this multiple times. Yes. To and tr- yeah. You could not visibly see the object that was in. Well, that's not what concerned me. What I what I could see is that when he's taking off his clothing, I could not figure out how he's also holding on to something in his hands. Hmm. I mean, try to take off your pants while you're holding on to keys. Your keys would uh, fall out of your hands. Uh, well, not necessarily. I mean, it depends on how many keys are on. Uh, it's a small keychain, it's clear. Hmm. Okay. But the way his hands are, you know, I'm going to go take off my pants now and see if I can. Do <laughs> or you could just look at the clip. <laughs> it, um, it's very confusing to me what I'm saying. Let me ask ha- you this. Yes. Let me ask you this. Uh, is the noise he makes with putting them down is that important? Like, is that what kind of snaps Felix no. out of him? No. no, it has. So no, it's not no. as if they really needed that gesture to happen. No. That's right. So they don't. I can only conclude he really did have something in his hand and needed to put it down. I guess so. I just can't figure out where that Jack was. Klugman th- must be just very, very agile. I guess so. I'd like you to go back and look and let's talk about this next <laughs> week to figure out. No, I'm okay. serious. I don't. We haven't done this before. I've actually given you homework. Okay. Please go back. Look at that scene. Yeah. Tell me where you think. Yeah. That well, was in. I'll, I'm gonna totally zapruder that crap. Yes, and be very pay very close attention to what his hands are doing as he is yeah. unbuttoning his clothing. I'm it gonna just, zapruder the hell out of it. Okay. So Oscar goes to get a beer from the refrigerator, and he says, "Whoa, Felix, the noise!" Referring to the blender. Felix is startled by the fact that Oscar's home because even the keys didn't tell uh-huh, Felix because it. I think the blender was yeah. um, making it hard to hear the keys. Felix says, you scared me. You were in Chicago. When did you come home? Oscar says, half a minute ago, I just got in. Felix touches Oscar's pajamas and says, you traveled on a plane like this. How come? When did they, why did they let you? Never mind. Never mind. I don't want to This is know. a weird question. Why did they let you? Right. And then he doesn't want for, he, he doesn't listen for an answer. He says, I don't yeah. want to know. How was your trip? Oscar says, tiring. The hotel I stayed at booked two conventions, megaphone makers and the guys who make bullhorns, which those are different things. Uh, I think the megaphone is the analog version. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is the 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 non-electronic kind, the manual. Oh, I see kind, what you're and, saying. Yeah. And the and a bullhorn is the actual uh, thing that they the more modern version, which ironically is used later. It's in used this a lot of this yeah, episode. Yeah, I right. wonder if if they Oscar got a deal on those from these uh, merchants. By the way, it's also not the first time they made. A megaphone joke. This is like must be a Gary Marshall thing. Do you remember in the? Uh, do you remember the other megaphone joke? I I, I remember there being one. I cannot come up with Odd what it was. monks in the monks. Yes, yeah, one of the monastery. One of the monks in the monastery sells megaphones, and they think that's very funny that he talks like this. Well, that would have been a good continuity if he if he was at the yes. convention. And he said, remember the guy we met at the monastery? (laughs) Um, Now, so after he talks about these two conventions, um, Felix starts to laugh 
And you can tell it's that laugh he does when he wants to ingratiate himself to Oscar. Right, he wants something from Oscar. Uh, Oscar says every night in the stairwell, they had an argument. Felix says, always a story when you come back from a trip. Oscar says, yeah, very funny. During the day, just for laughs, they went around paging each other. I'm going to bed. Felix says, don't you want a bite to eat? Come on. Oscar says, as a matter of fact, I am hungry. You know that? I tell you the truth. I'll never, I can never can eat on a plane. I can't use the midgets, that midget silverware. Which I guess back in the day, I guess you know, uh, in those back in the early seventies, uh, the that was one of the few times you would have to use little disposable silverware because uh, every a lot of places still gave you real silverware. Probably, Felix brings him a sandwich and a beer. Felix has a lot of action around here while you were gone. Oscar says you got lucky. <laughs> Felix says, don't talk dirty. I mean, the election, that playground issue is heating up. Oscar says, what playground issue? And Felix says, the playground issue. The incumbent councilman Simpson is still sponsoring that bill to destroy the playgrounds and put up office buildings. Oscar says, oh, you made me do article on that. I called it the last place to swing. Felix says, article. Another, another, yeah. uh, another. Uh, uh, sexual entendre. Yeah, sexual. Uh, double entendre. Double entendre, innuendo, to swing, right. Um, and didn't we also have another, there was a whole other thing about Playground. playgrounds with the uh, Felix uh, photograph faking yeah, pictures, that was, uh, something for weirdo, something weird, hang out for weirdos. for weirdos. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that wasn't Oscar's fault. No. Uh, Felix's article, that was a manifesto. The public reaction of that was so great. It inspired us to run a candidate against Simpson. And that leads us to our first clip from the show. Are you crazy? Simpson has run unopposed in this district for 14 years. I know it, and this time he's going to be opposed. Well, good luck. What kind of an idiot agreed to run against Simpson? <laughs> he agreed? dignity when i let you do anything wild you'll talk to people from your heart you'll shake their hands that's all that's all that's all okay i'll give it a try all right great we have to be at the bronx zoo in 30 minutes why i want a picture of you sitting on a giraffe madison rides high 
What happened to Douglas Dignity? Mr. Madison? Yes? I can't afford a contribution, but I could pierce your ears. Thanks, but I use clip-ons. So one of the most interesting things about that clip is that the Felix has found a um, out-of-business bakery called Krausmeyer's. And we know that the writers of this show love the Honeymooners because they already ripped off an episode in the tax episode, the IRS. And in the Honeymooners, there's an episode where Alice goes to work at Krausmeyer's Bakery. It's the episode where they hire a maid. See? Uh, now, Mrs. Cramden, I assume you'll be home to supervise the maid's work. Oh, well, no. You see, I have a job. Uh, 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 she doesn't need the job. It's, you know, career. She's a career girl. Oh, I see. Certainly. Uh, <laughs> tell me, Mrs. Cramden, where do you work? At Krauss Meyer's Bakery. <laughs> My career is stuffing jelly into donuts. <laughs> Also has a great sense of humor. That's either coincidence or not. And I think that it probably is not a coincidence. I think they remember that. Uh, The issue would be that for this has, well, either there's, either Krausmeyers had multiple bakeries across New York. If we believe that the Unger and uh, Ungers and Madisons and Crandons lived in the same New York City universe, which this might suggest they do, Either the Krausmeyers has multiple bakeries throughout the city, or Felix went and found a Brooklyn, the, went to Brooklyn to get Oscar's office because that's where Ralph and Alice lived in Benson. Well, that would raise the question of where exactly this district Oscar's well, that's, which we can get to later. That's Let's a whole other issue. Later. Yes, yes. But, but uh, no, I have, a, I have a much more, a much simpler scenario, yes. which is that Krausmeyers Bakery started, you know, sometime in the 50s or earlier. And did so well that they expanded or moved to the Upper West Side or Upper East Side. And, uh, and Mr. Krausmeyer, when the power and greed went to his head, or maybe the business started to turn down, he opened, he started doing this massage side business. Oh, right. And it I all ended say. tragically for him. Yes. It's a great story. Yes. Uh, I believe I 100% accept that story. And uh, and we now know we need the Krausmeyer spinoff, like the Mandalorian, you know, or something. We need a Krausmeyer. Yes. Do one of those crazy, obscure character spinoffs. You know? uh, there's this thing called the Tommy Westfall universe, where somehow somebody figured out that the end of Saint Elsewhere, where the one of the characters says all of Saint Elsewhere is a dream, connects. <laughs> most of the television universe all to that character of Tommy Westfall. Like so anyway, every show ever. Every show ever. There's a map of this because of how many different things St. Elsewhere brought into its universe. Anyway, right. okay. so I now think we could start that here. Okay, so the beginning of the clip, when Oscar asks what kind of idiot agreed to run against Simpson, first of all, the audience laughs before we get the joke. Right. I'm guessing because they saw the poster somehow in the studio. Oh. Did you Is notice? The laugh comes too early, you think? Yes, it comes too early. Oh. Okay. Either they guessed that Felix is running Oscar or somehow they saw the poster, because what happens is as soon as Oscar says that Felix pushes the kitchen door open out into the living room and we see a poster taped to it with what appears to be a Photoshop of Oscar or a smiling picture <laughs> of Oscar in a suit holding his lapels with the quote, I'm mad for Madison and vote for city councilman. Where did Felix get this picture? All right. So you're, you're, the question you're raising is that 
Felix seems to conveniently have a campaign poster ready for Oscar that has includes a photo of Oscar looking like he's posing for exactly this kind of thing. yes right. But it seems well. First of all, don't forget that Felix Unger is a professional photographer. True. Yes. So while he did not have Photoshop, the program, he had a Photoshop. Literally, get it? And he uh, could have probably has some photos of Oscar around, and and could have uh, mocked up something. I don't know. So there's two photos. There are two posters we see. That's true. Two they have to imply that he mocked them up, which I guess is possible. But where do, what are the elements of that? Like, is it another guy in a suit with Oscar's, head, those, on it, with Oscar's head on it? Again, if anyone can do it, it's Felix Unger, professional photographer. Uh, in the campaign office in this clip, we see another poster that says, ask for Oscars. Those are the two slogans. I'm mad for Madison and ask for Oscars. And we see those posters throughout the show. In this poster, he's pointing to the camera like James, the James Montgomery flag. I want you World War One poster yes. with Uncle Sam. Right. Uh, again, how did he get that pose or he made it up? Um, so Phyllis the Gypsy, this is the third and final appearance of Lynn Miller the belly dancer from Odyssey <laughs> Couple and the Rain in Spain. I think this portrayal of gypsies probably is not cool by today's standards. Yeah, I mean, it's not especially derogatory, but it's, well, it, yeah, it, it perpetuates the stereotype of the Roma people being always everywhere, just homeless and nomads, which is not true. Yes. Uh, there are four campaign workers besides the gypsies uh, who are working Two, there are two names listed in IMDb as campaign workers, although they say they're uncredited. I did try to figure out if those names are these the two older people in this clip. I didn't think they are, yeah. but I don't know who these they, uncredited. They certainly don't have a lot of acting to do. Yeah. No. So now we get a montage of New York City street scenes with stars and stripes playing over it. First, we see Felix and Oscar hang a poster on a light on a street light pole, but a little girl comes up and scribbles on Oscar's face with a marker. Then Felix and Oscar are standing on Central Park West, handing out flyers. Now we see Oscar standing around a group of mothers and their children's handing out flyers. And he goes to talk to a child who's in his mother's arms. But this kid squeezes Oscar's nose and he does it pretty hard. Did you notice that? <laughs> well, I, I can't tell if it's that or Klugman is really selling it. You know? Oh, right. That could be. You're right. Now we see Times Square where this is 70s Times Square. So we see a giant Woolworths in the background and the famous Bond clothing store signs, which were- Yes, that's what you you know about that sign, right? It's like yes. every picture of Times Square. Yes. From up like until the, this, I don't know when they got rid of it. but I think about the early 80s, they went out of yeah. business. They were pretty big. It was the biggest, it's like the most defining thing about Times Square in that time. Yeah. Uh, a number of people are milling about with more police than needed, which I think is a byproduct of the actual filming of the scene, right, not Oscar's right. running for councilman. Right. Uh, we zoom in on Oscar affixing a sign to a streetlight pole in the middle of Times Square. A police officer walks up to him, and it's Murray who's telling him he cannot put the sign there. Murray takes it down, turns his back, puts his hand over his eyes, and then Oscar puts it up. <laughs> now, this is pretty far from Murray's beat. Uh, uh, yeah, of course. Murray is everywhere. <laughs> uh, it is an interesting shot. It's, a very, it's like a high-angle shot of the island in the middle of Times Square, uh, which suggests it could have been, you know, the Paramount Building, of course, is right there uh, on 43rd Street. So... Maybe they shot it from the window. Of the parents. Oh, I was thinking it had to be a crane, but you're right. It maybe didn't have to be a crane. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, it's hard to tell from the angle, but um, it's an interesting shot. It's one of the most, usually they 
so that's the only time they've gone into such a busy area in like live as you say that no wonder they have the police around yeah yeah since and this and you know in season one there were more street shots but they weren't as famous now we're in season five and they're very well known right and notice the camera if it is where i think it might have been the uh, passerbys might not have seen the camera true true uh so now the next scene is takes place near where i currently live it's in zuccotti park in the financial district and there's a building there that's like two blocks from me oscar's talking to an older lady with a scarf around her head and for some reason oscar's looking very annoyed about talking to her and it's <laughs> unclear why i did not i did not get this at all i think it's because <laughs> she doesn't speak english maybe mm. is my best guess is about why oscar's so annoyed with felix about talking to this woman so the next scene oscar comes into the apartment holding a camp poster a campaign poster that's folded up murray's in the living room stuffing flyers into an envelope oscar says hiya murray i'm exhausted i've been all over town i hung up more posters on the fbi i'm tired of looking at my face he's angry and he throws the poster on the floor oscar says he's going to take a nap murray says you can't oscar says why not murray says felix called he wants you to meet him at this restaurant and he hands him a piece of paper Oscar says, yeah, is it a hotel? I'm tired. I'm not hungry. Is it in a hotel? I'm tired. I'm not hungry. Murray says, he said, it's a big breakthrough for your campaign, Oscar. You've got to go. Oscar says, oh, come on. I don't have a chance in this campaign. Murray says, sure you do. Felix says, you got the gypsy vote. Now he's working on a different group of people, folks who own their furniture, which is another slam at gypsies. Uh, Oscar grabs his pockets and says, I don't even change for the subway. And now he starts to slap his face to wake himself up. Murray says, here's some change. Consider it a campaign contribution. Oscar says, no special favors, Murray. Murray says, I'm a policeman. Of course not. The irony is he did do a special favor for Oscar by turning his back when he was putting up a sign. Next, we cut to the Press Box Steakhouse, which is an old watering hole for Oscar. So there would be no... In the show at least once, if not more. There would be no need for Murray to hand Oscar (laughs) a piece of paper that says, go to this restaurant. He would just say, go to the Press Box. Uh, so now let's play the scene at the press box. We didn't come here to eat. What are we coming for? The busboys vote? You know Howard K. Smith? Yeah, I've seen him do the news on TV. Yeah, he eats here. You see him? You see him? I'm going to get him to mention you on his TV show. Do you know him? He lives right next door to us. Do you know him? Well, I pass him on the street all the time. I know. <laughs> Mr. Smith? Hi, Felix Unger. I want you to meet the next city councilman from your district... Oscar Madison. How do you do, sir? Sit down. We can only stay a moment. I'm uh, having lunch. We already ate. I'll get right to the point. Do you mind if I have my food? Sure, surely. Two starches, huh? Why don't we let the gentleman have his lunch? You see, you see the kind of man he is? Full of concern for his fellow citizen. Mr. Smith, are you aware of the issue in the Madison versus Simpson campaign? No, what is that? Good versus evil. Strong issue. Where do you stand on it? You looking for something? My coleslaw. Oh. Waiter! Mr. Smith's coleslaw! I'll have an iced tea. You want some? Hemlock. Separate checks. Oh, excuse me, uh, I don't like to talk politics while I'm eating. You're May right. Surely. We'll wait. Clean your plate. So let's talk about Howard K. Smith. He started as a reporter for newspapers. He went to Berlin in 1940 for CBS, working for Ed Murrow, interviewed a lot of Nazis. 
but he was expelled to Switzerland from Germany because, one day before Pearl Harbor, by the way, because uh, he wasn't including Nazi propaganda in his reporting. He wrote a best-selling book at the time called The Last Train from Berlin and reported uh, from Switzerland for the, about the war for the rest of the war. He was CBS's London correspondent. After the war, he was blacklisted during the Red Scare. And then he hosted the first TV debate, presidential TV debate yes, between JFK right. and Nixon. Wow. He left CBS over dispute regarding desegregation reporting. He joined ABC in 62, became co-anchor of the ABC Evening News 69 to 75, which would include the period so of this episode. So he was the current anchor of the nightly news on ABC. He was the co-anchor. Co-anchor. Yes, he was. Uh, he also did commentary. After, after he stopped being the anchor of the news or co-anchor, he then just did commentary and then retired in 79. Uh, did you notice who was sitting in the next booth next to Howard K. Smith? Eddie Garrett. Exactly. The man. So, uh, you know, guys, Howard K. Smith, that's, uh, it seems like a big get, you know? I think it uh, was. I mean, he was ABC. One, he was one of the most, he was right. He is the, the home network's uh, newsman, but he is one of the most, rec- must have been one of the most recognizable news broadcasters in the country. It's like if Peter Jennings went on Growing Pains in the 80s. Are you saying he did? I'm saying he did not, but imagine oh. if he had. <laughs> <laughs> or who's the boss? That's funny, you're going for that example, but um, but I, Brian Williams, I believe, didn't he go on some TV shows while he was? I don't in a kind of humorous capacity. Well, he went on talk shows in humorous capacity. He, if he was on a sitcom, I don't remember that. I'm not saying he didn't. Okay. I just, but Brian Williams also had a sense of humor. I don't think right. Howard K. Smith was not known for having. A sense I don't until <laughs> Brian. Well, like I can't think yeah. of a notable newscaster yeah. or news anchor, yeah. network news anchor who was known for the sense of humor, and. Did that on a sitcom. Right, right until Brian Williams. Now, there may be Cronk. Oh, Cronkite may have been on Mary Tyler Moore. Mm. He might have been Interesting area of future research. Yes. Uh, so now they we cut to the living. It's that night. We're in the living room. Felix says, Oscar, hurry. You're going to miss the commentary. So they sit down to watch Howard K. Smith. And Felix has a big remote control in his hand. And here's Howard's commentary. Tonight's commentary concerns a local election here in Manhattan. A sports writer named Oscar Madison is waging an underdog campaign for the city council. I met Mr. Madison and his campaign manager over lunch today after they made sure I ate it all and trimmed the fat and chewed it thoroughly. They told me the issue. Mr. Madison is trying to save our neighborhood's playgrounds. He is trying to spread his word without much money. In fact, they stuck me for the price of the iced tea. (laughs) But it's a word that should be heard. They're making up in drive and in enthusiasm for what they lack in resources and in manners. There's a place for these two men in politics, but not at my table. Good night, Harry. Am I a campaign manager? Boy, that's terrific. It went coast to coast, right? Yeah. Now everybody in the country knows you're a pest. <laughs> so the Harry that he says goodnight to is Harry Reasoner, who that was his oh, co-anchor right. of the news. You know, so so we're to believe that uh, uh, that not only would Harry K. Smith take an interest in this race, but he would actually put it on the national news. Yes. Yeah. It's a little far-fetched. Also, far fetched is his setup of sitting simply at a desk in front of a curtain. It is very cheap. <laughs> and by the way, he says they they uh, that they uh, took me for the price of the iced tea. But we hear Felix say 
separate, separate checks. checks, please. Well, I think we're to believe that he did not that he did not make good on that promise. Or the maybe the restaurant made a mistake. Oh. Uh, now more montages. We see a very fascinating shot of the World Trade Center construction site. The yeah, building how about are done, right. but they're clearly still doing work. It had officially opened. So we're talking about the autumn of seventy-four. Yes, summer September. This would be August, September seventy-four. Based on my research, the center, the trade center, opened between seventy-three and seventy-five. There were different oh, stages okay. of things opening. Yeah. Hmm. It's so eerie because you know, like under construction, of course, it looks a little like Ground Zero. Yes. Later. Yep. Well. We pan down and we see a group of construction workers in hard hats talking to Felix and Oscar, who are also working hard hats, and they're standing around a hot dog cart. Now we see a Chinese restaurant, Felix and Oscar camp painting outside of it. And there's a young woman feeding Oscar Chinese food with chopsticks. Then we see Oscar eating ribs with Miriam sitting next to him wearing an, a <laughs> sash that says Oscar. And Murray's also there wearing a patriotic styrofoam hat in uniform, which seems weird. Yeah, isn't that Murray? That, it's not as notable here as it is when Murray's giving a speech later. Yeah. In it's uniform, the, uh, that you think there wrong. would be some police regulation. I think there are. Also, this looks like it's just in their campaign headquarters. I think we're supposed to believe it's a restaurant, but I don't mm. think it is. And Miriam has changed her hair color. It's a light blonde now, or the she's, dirty blonde now. She's had some uh, highlights or something, uh, or dyed her hair a bit. Uh, this is the first time we're seeing Miriam, by the way, in season five. Yeah, it's been so quite it's been, a while. So she's uh, Andy Ackerman's mom. Yeah uh oscar's a nodding he's enjoying the ribs then we cut to an awning that says bar japanese restaurant which is like just a such a generic <laughs> weird awning oscar murray and felix are campaigning in front of it then we see oscar shaking a lot of hands but just hands it's just right. a montage of right. hands shaking yep. now we're in oscar's bedroom we see a campaign poster on a stick oscar sitting in a chair looking exhausted with a cigar in his mouth and we see he is soaking his feet Ah, but Ted. Yes. Now, not just his feet, but his hand. His right hand is. Oh, also really? In a, and that's the. There's supposed to be a, the the hands, the shaking hands montage is oh. leading up to that visual joke. So not he, a great joke, but. But wait, oh wait, is his hand in another bucket? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, like on the tired from all the pumping. The oh, blood. I'll have to go back. Oh, now I have homework, just like you did. Ah, <laughs> Ted, yes. Wait, what's my homework? Here? Yeah, is to go and look, figure out the keys. keys. Yes. Right, okay. Uh, now we're in campaign headquarters again. Felix says, "All right, everybody, volunteers, everybody, give me your attention." No one does that, by the way. No one gives him his attention. Mm -hmm. Now Oscar Madison has been out on uh, now now Oscar Madison has been out on the streets of this city since early morning, working his heart out for you and you and you and you and me. I think that when he comes back, we should give him a rousing welcome. What do you say? And the volunteers, again, do not pay attention to Felix. Felix says, good. Okay, back to the barricades. He literally hops over to Miriam and says, oh, boy, there's a really great feeling in this room, isn't there? Miriam says, yeah, where's Oscar anyway? Felix says he's out making contact with another group. Miriam says, another ethnic group? I thought we'd hit them all by now. Felix says we leave no stone unturned. Oscar walks in wearing a very large American Indian headdress. Felix says, there he is. More hey, ethnic humor. Hey, you look sensational. Did we get the Indian vote? Oscar says, all three of them. Felix says, did you hear the great news? Miriam took another poll. You're up to 17%. <laughs> Oscar turned to the gypsies and says, hey, that's pretty good, isn't it? Miriam took a poll? <laughs> Miriam working the phones hard. There. What does yeah. that mean? And we're talking about calling people 
until you they pick up the phone. None of this uh, internet polling stuff. So Miriam <laughs> is the pollster. She's just... or maybe she goes door to door. I don't know. But the, how much of how big a sample could <laughs> it looks? It shouldn't you? Isn't there a professional who yes, would do this? They don't have any. They don't have any money. Have any money? But I I don't trust Miriam seventeen <laughs> percent. No offense yes. to Miriam. Yeah. And why is he asking the gypsies if 17% is good? How would anybody in that room know that answer? Uh, well, I think if they're following the race, they would know. But it's, it's apparently it's just a two-man race, right? So that means he's got, I mean, yeah, 17 compared for nobody would be better than zero. But why is he turning to the gypsies to ask that? I don't get <laughs> you know, it. Just looking for approval. But you know, before we move on, for speaking of like what is involved in this campaign, polling or otherwise about that district thing he is running for a seat on the city council yeah now presumably whether they still live at 1049 park avenue on the upper east side or possibly as suggested on the upper west side they are in they're uptown so when oscar starts campaigning down in the financial district there is a very loose conception of the only thing the that can make sense there. is that people go to work and that's where you yeah, get them true. during the day and you never know where they live so law of chances is if you go talk to people in any working area some of them yeah. will live potentially where you're true. campaigning true. uh but it does seem like he's running for mayor and not city councilman <laughs> yes that's what it feels like uh murray comes in with a newspaper uh, into the office into the campaign office and says hey did you see the afternoon paper felix says no and murray says <laughs> i did and he just looks at the paper and still tell me them what it says Felix grabs the paper from him and says, Oscar, Simpson concedes on the playground issue. Oscar says, you're kidding. He grabs the paper. Felix says, everybody, give me your attention. Great news. We see Murray and Oscar shakes hands. Felix says, gypsies, everybody. <laughs> Simpson has conceded on the issue of the playgrounds. We keep our playgrounds. Everybody cheers. Felix says, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Do you know what this means? Miriam says, yes, it means we can go home. Felix says, what are you talking about? Oscar says, no, she's right. We got in this campaign to settle the playground issue. We did it. Hey, you all did some terrific job. Thank you all. I'm going to the racetrack. Mm -hmm. And he runs out. Felix says, no, Oscar, 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 come back. He grabs a bullhorn, maybe made by yep. one of those companies, and uses it from the doorway to say, Oscar, you can't quit now. I won't let you. The next scene, we're back in. Uh, we see fake 1049 Park Avenue. Felix comes out of the kitchen and we see a picture of Abraham Lincoln and George Washington on either side of Oscar's campaign poster leading up against the closed partition of the kitchen. Uh, Felix is holding two small American flags, which he puts down next to the breakfast that is on the table. He blows on one of the flags, which I guess is to open it up. I don't know if you noticed this, but it I doesn't, not nothing really happens when he does that. Uh, so that leads to this scene. Oscar! Breakfast! I do not choose to run. Where's your patriotism? What do you want me to be? The father of Lexington Avenue? I won the campaign that I wanted to win, and that's all there is to mm. it. But if you were a councilman, you could do so much more. You could put great, big, handsome trash baskets on every corner. 
You could wash the Statue of Liberty. You could put those ugly fire hydrants underground so the dogs wouldn't have a tendency. It's, a, it's ridiculous to think that I could win. Why? Why? One reason we had no money, that's why. Did Washington have money? Somebody bought those cute wigs for him. He had spirit. That's what he had. He believed in what he was doing, and he had spirit. thinking of withdrawing, sir. I agree with you. That would be a stupid idea. Well, it was just a fleeting thought. I mean, I, I certainly would. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. What? What? You're not going to believe this. What? What? The publisher, he wants me to continue with my campaign. Mm -hmm. He said that spot with Howard K. Smith that gave the paper a lot of publicity. Yeah. He doesn't like Simpson, but listen to this. He's going to finance our campaign. Oh, <laughs> So at the start of the clip, Oscar comes out very groggily in an undershirt and shorts with a cigar in his mouth. Felix is standing in a salute pose while the music is playing. Um, and then Miriam and Murray come out from the kitchen. Murray is playing the drums. Miriam is playing a fake so flute. They're, they're doing the uh, Spirit of 76 uh, kind of trio. But I think Miriam and Felix are just whistling while pretending to oh. play the flute. Yes, that's true. Uh, and they're they're wearing revolutionary outfits, um, and at the end they're playing while they're like waiting for Oscar to eat his food. Yeah, kind of a kind of a forced uh, overkill bit with Murray doing the drum roll. I think yeah, they're trying to. It's not as funny as they think it is. <laughs> and there's a weird angle when he's eating. Oh right, yeah, they, yeah. Gary Marshall getting fancy with the camera work, but kind of weird, yeah. Back to a montage scene. Hey, we, wait a minute. One yes. important thing about that scene. Yeah. It does address another uh, uh, nagging uh, question I had throughout the episode. It's like, what does his boss think of him? Right. Doesn't he have a job? Like, yeah. what's he doing running for city council? And if Would he, he be wins. Allowed exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sit on the council? Well, and apparently oh. not only is there no conflict of interest, but the, the paper says that that's great. Right, but if he won, what would, would happen? The, his, would the paper be allowed to fund his campaign? That's it, yes. <laughs> and if he won, he would do both jobs, or he would give up sports writing, which well, he loves. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like a full time job New York, in New York. I know some places it might not be, but yeah, there's a lot of uh, legitimacy <laughs> questions. Yeah, yeah, credibility. So next montage is a crowd of people. Um, uh, we see a crowd of people. There are two young women in Mets caps. Uh, um, and Murray. Yeah, the, it's funny. It's kind of cute, but weird that they adopt the Mets cap as like the official paraphernalia of the Oscar Madison campaign because he's a Mets fan. Yep. 
Which is also when you come to think of it weird first. Would a sports writer really declare their allegiance to one no. of the two big teams? No, that's a big deal. Is that <laughs> candidates right, always get tripped up? Side, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, so there's two young women and Marie. Uh, they're walking around with Ask for Osk posters. This appears to be Grand Army Plaza in Manhattan at 59th mm. Street, where the Apple store is today. Oh. There's a decent sized crowd there to see him and shake his hand. Uh, then we have a new scene. It's the same area, but Oscar has his Mets head on hat on now, and he starts shaking more hands. Wait, are you mean? I'm sorry. I, uh, I know it's not important, but when you say Grand Army Plaza in Manhattan, could not to be confused with the one in Brooklyn. Correct. Are you talking about Columbus Circle? No, uh, this is the area of 59th Street where the Apple Store is. I don't know where the Apple Store. Uh, 59th and Fifth. <laughs> I looked you it mean up. Like at, near the Plaza. Yeah, near the Plaza Hotel. I, uh, I looked at okay. according to. I didn't realize know what that area was called. According to Google Maps, that area is called Grand Army Plaza. Oh, okay. Um, oh, maybe that's why the Plaza Hotel is called the Plaza. Hmm. But um, which because I asked about Columbus Circles because that's of course the other paramount real estate in New York City is Columbus Circle. So it's a short, yes, short which, trip from there. That's where the studio is, kind of ish. Yeah. When we yeah. see that later, um, now Murray hands Oscar a beer. Felix is shocked by this. I don't think he wants his candidate <laughs> drinking beer. He makes a motion that Oscar should put the weight of beer away, especially in an open container. Oscar points to his throat as an excuse for why yeah, he's drinking the beer. He just needed to, uh, yes, he had a dry throat. Then he puts a cigar in his mouth, though, which <laughs> I don't think helps. Well, that's not well, that's not illegal to smoke a cigar. It's illegal to drink a beer in an open container. Oh, I see. Okay. Now we see the famous Winston smoking cigarette billboard that was on 45th and Broadway wow. from 72 to 77, in which a large smoke ring they comes out. Big of- cancer machine. Of a rugged man's mouth <laughs> while he's holding a cigarette. Uh, they don't show the Winston name on the top of the billboard. They cut that off. Uh, but there's a lot of weird things about this, right? But first yes. of all, it's, there's no joke and there's no ref. It's not integrated into the show. It's just a like a iconic a, thing yeah. in Times Square. Yes. But there's no tie-in to anything. No, it's just a cinematic device. Just to sh- establish... Again, Times Square, I guess. Yeah, to pan down from something interesting to look yeah, at. Which right, it is. right, right, right. It is such a funny. Oh, you have more information about. This. Well, the depiction. So what they show is the sign being painted. The bottom of the sign being painted, mm-hmm. which means either this shot is stock footage from '72 when it was created, or they happen to catch it being touched up in '74. Mm-hmm. According to a 1977 New York Times article. A thousand smoke rings came out of it a day, and it was closed down after five years because R.J. Reynolds says it was very expensive to operate. As opposed to maybe polluting the atmosphere. <laughs> well, I think that wasn't a concern at this time. Um, hey. It, yeah. Okay, finish up. So this replaced, not, not exactly geographically, but the essence of this sign replaced another famous smoking sign, which was a camel's, also owned oh. by R.J. R. R. Reynolds. Uh, sign which had smoke coming out of it that was in Times Square for 25 years and 41 to 66. What's interesting about all of this is technically this is an ad for cigarettes on television. Right, which was already banned. Banned right? in 71. Or maybe not technically it is, but in essence it is. Yes, sure. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Hey, and uh, do you know there is one other sitcom, famous sitcom reference to this sign? Uh, from a more mod, a more later show. Uh, uh, suddenly another Susan. New York show. Suddenly Susan. <laughs> Close. It starts with an S. Seinfeld. Seinfeld. When Kramer 
now it's funny you should mention that the remind us that the sign was taken down because in remember the kramer lawsuit against the tobacco tries to sue the tobacco companies with his lawyer jackie childs and he ends up settling and the, the it's the punchline it's the last joke of the whole episode that instead of taking money he agrees to have them use his face as the as the Times square uh, poster boy for cigarettes with the smoke coming out oh so I- even though the sign had already been taken down by then they kind of pretend that it's still a thing and oh, that's they put funny. kramer's face on it um, so we pan down from the sign. Oscar and Felix are campaigning in front of a Regal Shoes store, which is also another large mm. Times Square era or 70s era, 60s, 70s era um, clothing d- stores in New York and New Jersey. Um, and we see this in Times Square. They're campaigning. Now we go, we see the outside of the ABC studios at the time which was a Studio 15, which operated on West 58th Street from 1955-1985. Dick Cavett's ABC show was was shot there. Um, And now we're going to figure out, here's a clip to say why we are now seeing this ABC studio sign. What is this? I thought we were going on television. This is television. This is the Igor show. Igor is a big star, buddy. We're going to talk in front of horror film fans? They vote. Horror shows are five seconds, Igor. Let's go. You guys get off this Sorry. Three seconds, Igor. Where's Igor? I don't know. We shall return to tonight's horror movie, <laughs> Mysterious Planet Debbie. Right after this word from Councilman Simpson, who is running for re-election in the 34th Council District, Mr. Simpson. Thank you, Igor. You're welcome. Good evening, friends. On behalf of my lovely wife, Edith, and my little girl, Irene, and my son, James, I would like to thank you for the privilege of having served you for the last 14 years. During this campaign, I have been opposed by Mr. Oscar Madison, a public-spirited citizen who has brought to my attention several pressing community problems. And uh, for this, I would like to thank him sincerely, Mr. Madison. However, when you go to the polls tomorrow to cast your vote, I urge you to place your confidence in the man with experience. I would like to remind you that it was I who got the additional police protection for our neighborhoods. And I would like you to remember that it was I that engineered the federal funds with which we improved our schools. Lastly, I would like to remind you that a vote for Simpson is a vote for progress. Thank you very much. We're going home now to pop some corn. Thank you, Councilman. Now, boys and ghouls, back to the mysterious planet Debbie. As you recall, our hero, Dr. Rontor, was struggling with the awful curse of the Kathaba people. Igor? He's a pussycat. Ah, Igor Simpson. Did you fall for all that malarkey? Listen, you're the man of the people. You're going to wipe him out. Mm, well, he looked pretty appealing. His kids were so cute. I wanted to go and hug him myself. You're on in 10 minutes. Wait, I'll be right back. Wait, wait. Look, 
You watch the film on the monitor. It's a real goodie. I've seen it seven times. Here comes the part where the giant cockroach swallowed Rhode Island. Rhode Island. Big deal. Three bites. Igor, we eat the bagpipe and the octopus and game. No, no, no. The cockroach is still eating. just love the part where he spit out providence. <laughs> now, right after this commercial, we'll be hearing from Councilman Simpson's opponent, Oscar Madison. Commercial rolling. Oscar. Please. Thank you, Mingo. Where have you been? I'll be on the air. Oh, it's been seconds. Come on. Wait. Come on. What is it? I just... My loved ones? Yes, oh, yes. No, no, no. I know what you're doing. They're not my loved ones. No, get no, 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 no. Three, I'm not going to do it. Two. Please. One. Go. Good evening, everyone. My name is Felix Unger, and I have the great good fortune and honor to be the campaign manager for Oscar Madison, who was unfortunately called away to help a needy person. <laughs> I am surrounded by Mr. Madison's loved ones. But who wouldn't love the brave hero of Anzio, who single-handedly saved an entire platoon, the famous 143rd Melting Pot Platoon. Italians, Jews, Puerto Ricans, you name them, he saved them. Felix, and here is Oscar Madison. How are the needy people? They're fine. My campaign manager, Felix Unger, gets carried away and has a great sense of humor. These are not my loved ones. They're very nice people, I'm sure, but they're not my loved ones, and I was not a hero in Anzio. I would like to be a councilman. I think I did a good job on the playground issue, and if you do elect me, I'll try harder to do even more for you. Thank you very much. We're into commercial. Thank you, thank you. Here's your dollar. Here's your dollar. Thank you, Here's your dollar. There's so much to talk about this scene. Um, Okay, Igor uh, is played by Guy Marks, who is a comedian and impressionist. He did oh. nightclubs in the 50s and 60s. He was a regular on several failed sitcoms, the Joey Bishop show, the John Forsythe show, Rango, which was an F Troop clone with Tim Conway, and You Again with Jack Klugman. Was that the one that, that came later, You Again? Yes, the one with John Stamos. Right, right. Uh, he was on, wait, as opposed to what? As opposed to before The Odd Couple. I don't think he had a sitcom before the Odd Couple. Jack Clark? Right. That's yeah. I'm just establishing. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah it came out. The, the other shows you mentioned sounds like they were before. Oh, oh, uh, those were all before. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, he was on Dick Van Dyke. Here's Lucy and Policewoman. Now the character is kind of based on this guy Zachary, who was a local horror movie host in the Philadelphia, oh. New York City area in the 50s and 60s. He used the name uh, Roland also, sometimes as his character. There's a guy now named Sven Gulli, uh, or, or there's, there's, there's this horror host thing was a thing at the time. 
And of uh, course, but, like Elvira does. Elvira is another that. example, of, right? But uh, what I love about this guy, what's his name again? Uh, yeah. His name is Guy Marks. He's uh, he's also doing a Boris Karloff impersonation. Yeah, That's right. his voice. So yeah. Kind of a great persona he's created. Councilman Simpson. In the is, full cape, in the full Dracula. And he never gets out of character, makeup. even yeah. when. I, yeah. <laughs> I love when Oscar tries yeah. to talk. To him. Oh, oh. Uh, Councilman Simpson is played by Peter Hobbs, making the second of four uh, appearances. We saw him during Oscar's uh, promotion episode where he played the fight promoter, Nathaniel Talbot. He's a uh, very prominent character actor of movies at the time. He uh, has a, bit, uh, a prominent role toward the end of uh, Woody Allen's Sleeper. On stage with him are his wife and two cute children who are not credited. Uh, when, Thimps, when Simpson thanks Oscar, uh, for bringing the playground attention, Oscar nods, looking satisfied, and he looks at Felix, looking for satisfaction, but Felix is looking very skeptical and suspicious. Now, the movie, this movie, uh, Planet Debbie, we do see movie footage on a screen. Yep. It's got nothing to do with cockroaches in Rhode Island. It's a dinosaur, a really Ray Harryhausen clone-looking yep. dinosaur, that's eating something and then <laughs> growls at the screen and it says the end. Right. I don't see any cockroach or any Rhode Island. I guess he, the, uh, the uh, dinosaur could be on planet Debbie, but it's very confusing. I would like to know what this actual footage is from. It's not something they made for the odd couple, probably not, but I can't figure out what it is. And I looked online. No one else has mentioned it. Uh, and the best part of the episode is when, Felix brings out an Asian woman, an African-American boy, and a white blonde girl as Oscar's loved ones. Buys him a family for $3. It's, it is so funny. It's just, it's, to me, it's the, it is the best moment of this entire yes. episode. Yeah. Uh, after, anything you want to add about that scene? Oh, God. Well, um, no. Okay. So now we <laughs> so see. Much, so much could be said. We now see a scene that I think may have been cut out from syndication of Oscar and Felix walking at yeah, night in right. Central Park. Felix says, I don't know why you're so mad at me. If I made a mistake, it's only because of overzealousness. This is fake Central Park. This is fake Central Park. Fake yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I went too far. All right. Oscar says, try to get me votes from who? Ghouls in California? I don't know why he says California. Is it a national show? I don't know. Uh, Felix says, I admit that ethically it wasn't probable, but she's going to vote for you. What are you going to, and I guess she is the woman, I guess, because the kids can't vote. What are you going to do? Fire me as your campaign manager? Oscar says, no, I don't want to fire you. I just don't want to go through that craziness. These are your loved ones. How do I handle that? Felix says, all right, no more craziness. No more craziness. We got one more day and baby, we're going to go. Oscar says, where? Felix says, to the top. And then he points high into the sky. But all that does is show us a tall building. Like we cut to a tall building in New York, which now pans down. So I don't know what that high in the sky means another montage with stars and stripes we're back at grand army plaza which by the way i think is the same footage before yeah it is because like, yeah. there's an african-american man in a green suit who we I mean, see in the background like, this is the third montage i think right we've had like or is it fourth like, is it or third fourth, or fourth? right it's like yeah. the whole episode now i get what mark rothman was saying it's like they just took all his footage with at least probably just a vague idea of what the prem of the premise and what the plot plot would be they just took all this random footage of Oscar campaigning in New York City and 
wrote yeah that figuring that would be 10 minutes of the episode and then they wrote dialogue for the other 10 minutes and they just kept reusing this footage and well ways. i think this is the only time they reuse the footage because you okay. do see the same man but there's not much of a progression to this. no but at least but at least every other scene was different yes this is the okay. same yes. footage as we saw 10 minutes ago right. we do see some stuff like Os felix is wearing a different tie it's still red and black but it's it's a not the same tie he wore in the original scene, which means they had the wherewithal to change his tie, I guess, to make it look like he was in a different scene. But then they had the same guy standing behind him. We see Lynn Miller, the gypsy, doing her belly dancing <laughs> again. Right, she's all. That's why she's in this episode. It's like Gary Marshall must be obsessed with her belly dancing. And then a montage of quick shots of Felix and Murray and volunteers just campaigning. We just see them shouting on the street we don't hear what they're saying yeah, yeah. Uh, they're using impassioned gestures uh, now we see a campaign van moving slowly down the street there's posters taped all over it people riding out of it on it on top of it with american flags it has a loudspeaker and that leads to our last clip night draws to a close over new york ending one of the most harrowing campaigns in local history the 34th district had the largest voter turnout and the final count is now in it's simpson with 5413 votes and madison 5280 votes simpson retains his council seat now back to our regular programming oh 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 simpson is the winner Here. What's the matter with you people? We got 48% of the vote. What are you depressed about? Do you realize we almost took an election away from a man who's been around 14 years? I guarantee you Simpson will be on his toes from now on in. You know who's responsible for this mostly? My best friend and my campaign manager, Felix Unger, and he'll explain it better than I will. Go ahead. <laughs> So after he says that, he just puts Collapses. his onto a desk. Yeah. Um, the so the I uh, he talks about the thirty fourth district, which in real life, oh. the thirty fourth district in New York City is straddles Brooklyn and Queens, including parts of Bushwick, <laughs> Williamsburg, and Ridgewood. So that's well, I not, suppose that could have changed. Uh, you're right. It's possible. <laughs> it's maybe or they just possible they made it up. Yeah, yeah I think they probably just made it up. Um, so in the tag, we see a young boy throwing a ball at the wall in the campaign office with Oscar's posters on it. And we hear throwing what, it at Oscar's face, I believe. Yes. Yeah. We hear what Phyllis, we presume it's Phyllis saying, Herschel, the chicken's ready. And he runs mm -hmm. off. He's a young gypsy boy. We with see the name Oscar, Herschel. Right. <laughs> we see Oscar sitting on a ledge. It's such a Jewish mother thing to say, Herschel, the chicken's ready. <laughs> uh, Oscar's sitting on a ledge of a kind of a of a area of the 
kind of paint office. One of the tables or Felix is lying face down on the desk still. And Oscar Felix, in an hour and a half already, you're not listening to me. He picks up the bullhorn. He says, now hear this. You did very, very well. Your problem was that you had dreams of grandeur. You even pictured me as president, didn't you? And Felix nods. Oscar <laughs> Which says, is so, that is a, a great example of an, an extreme example, but a great example of, of Felix's delusions. Oscar says, come on, buddy, let's go out here. Let's go out of here proud. I can't tell you. You did a great job. I'm so proud of you. And I want to thank you for everything you did. Come on, buddy. Let's go home. You were terrific. Felix sighs. He slowly gets up. He takes the bullhorn and says, thank you, Oscar. Oscar says, come on, let's go. Oscar goes to the poster on the door of the campaign office. He pulls it down because it's on like a, 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 a shade yeah. so that it goes back up. And he says, ah, this is all over. But underneath that, poster is another poster he tears that one off the door felix goes back to the bullhorn as they leave and says now hear this world you won't have oscar madison to kick around anymore of course quoting richard nixon from 1962 hey speaking of famous quotes i forgot to mention there's another one earlier when uh in when uh when oscar tries to drop out and they they want him to felix wants to get him back in uh he says um I choose not to run. Right. And which Seinfeld fans, of course, will also uh, recognize that line uh, is used in a funny episode. Um, but I, it made me finally look up, like, what is that referring it's to? Is it that LBJ? No, it's, it's um, LBJ, of course, made a speech where he chose not to, where he dropped out. Uh, but, but actually the phrase, I choose not to run, is Calvin Coolidge in 19... 19- before the 1928 election where he could have run for re-election and he did not. Oh. And, the, and there's a funny story, if anyone wants to into like uh, old political stories, there's a funny story. You can look up the quote, I choose not to run on Wikipedia and there's, it's, it has a funny history. Uh, I enjoy this episode. The premise is a little silly, uh, but it somehow still works for me. The street scenes of New York, which do go on too long, I do love, though, I love seeing New York sure. at the time, and it's really interesting to see it. I just wish there was one less uh, segment of it and a little more jokey jokes, uh, like a debate or something, maybe between, like a real debate between Simpson and Madison, mm. not just speeches. Um, the Igor scene is classic. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just so great. And the, yeah. the loved one scene is, is a classic. Uh, so I give it four out of five Murrays. Yeah, I agree pretty much. I'd say for Murray's, uh, it's, um, it is kind of a silly premise. One, partly for which, one reason is uh, it's, it's Oscar seems very good natured in agreeing to do this in the first place. It's one of the things that struck me in the beginning. That was a little stretch credibility because Felix, it's a great episode of Felix trying to talk Oscar into doing something crazy, right? That's a whole genre, subgenre of the show. And, uh, but in this, usually Oscar, puts up more of a fight and this time he seems he's very gracious very nice oscar throughout a lot of this episode uh which is a side of jack klugman's uh what he endows the character with or maybe oscar was enjoying it somehow maybe yeah well that's why i think the, the the plot twist of having his editor publisher call him as weird as that is for the reasons we said is actually very good because it gives him a real reason, a, a pressure to go ahead with it. Yeah, like he has to please his boss now. So that was good. Um, and while the premise again is is a bit 
stretches credibility. I, it is a New York, very New York thing, right? These local elections and it immerses us in that world, very local, very uh, niche world of, of, of daily New York life. And, um, and I love, what I love about the Igor show is not just how funny Igor is, but it's like this whole world, this kind of lost world of local TV, right? That could have a show like this and that candidates would just appear on to do like a little spot, you know? I feel like that's what we've lost with the, the loss of local TV. And so it, it, that, that feels real to me somehow. Well, if you have any uh, information about this episode, if you know where that Planet Debbie footage is from, uh, that would be great to know. I'd love to hear it and maybe even find it online. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly report back on that last next week if or whenever people tell us. Uh, you feel free to e- email us at 1049pod at gmail.com. Uh, or hopefully give us a five-star review on iTunes. Garrett, here's your dollar. I'm going to go home and pop some corn now.